Lights up on a park bench. Lights up on a deck. Lights up. 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 A podcast by the Ensemble Theatre of Chattanooga. The role of Rosa will be played by Deborah Meeks of Spring Hill, Tennessee. And the role of Leo will be played by Dennis Parker of Chattanooga, Tennessee. Lights up on two apartments, one in Sydney, Australia, one in New York, New York. Hello? Princess? Is that you? Say something. It's just a word. Liar. Oh, but before you hang up, l- let me explain. Uh, no, let me apologize. Stop ringing or I'll phone the police. And have me arrested? <laughs> yes. I hear they have electric chair in America. God, it's it's good to hear your beautiful voice, princess. Oh, Leo, some men make women weak in knees. You make me weak in stomach. I see time hasn't dulled your tongue. It's sticking out at you. Not a word for 53 years and I've called you three times in the last minute. Fifty-six years, Leo, but you was never good at dates. What are you saying? That that I didn't come looking for you after the war? Sure. Uh, With your army of leggy blondes as foot soldiers. Come on, I I was a kid. Who didn't play the field a little? Oh, Leo, you played whole paddock. Let me explain. No, let me guess. Hoodlick the dirt story of Winter, what niggers in it, the bit, what ignit, kekumenit, kinkinit. It's the carpenter's fault. If he hadn't built the bed, you wouldn't have seen. Princess, you know what it was like in that concentration camp. Denied every pleasure in life. Waiting for death's hands? Then suddenly you're released. What's an 18-year-old guy to do? What he promised. I'm sorry. I'm not. You did me a favor. I met good man. That's great. I'm I'm real happy for you, princess. Stop calling me that. You left your princess in the tower, and you never came back. Guess who? I don't have time for your stories. I know, I know. It's not like you were standing there with your arms folded, staring at the phone, demanding it to ring with that little frown of yours. (laughs) You forgot how well we know each other, princess. You're wrong, Leo. I went back to bed. Waiting for you, I gave up long ago. 
I don't know why I didn't come come for you after the war. <laughs> That's it. I don't know. That's the best you got. Do us both favour. Take some time, compose your thoughts, and call back in 56 years when you got something worth saying. D- don't, don't hang up, please. Please, I'm getting RSI from hitting redial. Oh. Can I ask, how long did you wait? Every morning. I'd get all dressed up and sit on that bench, in the park in Warsaw, just like we agreed. And until dark, I would stay. How many days did you sit? As many days that make three and a half months. Oh, God. I feel terrible. Oh, muscle tough. While you was getting fresh, I was getting piles. I came back for you. It was two months after we were supposed to meet. I, I peeked out of my hiding spot. And there you were. S- sitting on that bench. Oh, God. How I wanted to go to you. But, but you had this look. Like, like, like the only reason you were waiting for me was so that you could tear me apart and eat me alive. I couldn't will my legs to walk a single step. Can I ask you something? Something I've always... Had I come over, would you have taken me back? Only to tear you apart and eat you alive. You're still angry at me. No, no anger I save for Hitler. For you, Smindrick, I want nothing more than a slow death at painful hands. About a year later, I I came back, uh, looking, but you were gone. <laughs> and you expected me to be on that bench? What am I, Pigeon? They, they said you took a boat to Australia for, for years. I... I'd have these dreams where I'd see you standing on the deck of that boat, looking out for me one last time as you set sail. Is that how it played out? No. No, I went to my cabin. And as I was putting my luggage in the rack, this man helped me with my case. Eight months later, that man, Max, became my husband. Ah, I also married fast to Sophie. And you told this wife of yours that you found my number in a computer? Sophie thinks it's just two old friends catching up. She doesn't know how much you missed me. Leo, there's a really nice place you should try and visit. It's called... Reality. A prince says, you can fool the world with your tough woman, stiff jaw, flared nostril routine, <sighs> but not me. <laughs> you, you know your, your giveaway? That little nervous twitch in your left <sighs> pinky finger. Like the first night I poked my pinky between the wires and wrapped mine around yours. <sighs> God, how I wanted to jump through that fence. And princess, you know why I married Sophie? Because she was the opposite of you. And you know why I married someone brave and faithful? Because he was opposite of you. Oh, you're right. 
I was so infantile, but but when you're young, you're you're a half-wit. Oh, and now that you're old, you're full wheat. Goodbye, Leo. S- sing for me. What? Like we used to do every night when, when we'd sneak to the fence. Tumbala, tumbala, oh. tumbala like oh, a... you can't sink. You in the woman's camp, me in the men's, risking our lives to whisper between the wires, and we'd waltz and sing. Tumbala, tumbala, tumbala like a... Dancing in a death camp, what a thing. Imagining we were in each other's arms. I don't live in the past, Leo, even if the past lives in me. Visit me. I'll buy you a first-class ticket. Oh, you have some chutzpah. I wait months on bench. Now you want I should slip the veil for you? I spoke with my doctor, Princess. He, he, he said the flight could kill me. Then let me buy your first-class ticket. If you hate me so much, why do you still look at my photo? What photo? The one I had hidden in the camp. The one I gave you. My my portrait before the war. This innocent kid of 17 smiling with full red cheeks and no idea what life was about to... I don't remember any photo. Princess, (laughs) you you never were a good liar. (laughs) And you was always the best fun for her. What happened when you were taken away from the camp? Years later, I I heard rumors... Why can't you be like every other Jew and try to forget what happened? Because I can still see the first time I laid eyes on you, standing by the window in the woman's dormitory, all bold and... Full of bones, but I've never seen anything so beautiful. And I still hear those words as man ran into my dormitory months later. Leo, Leo, they they moved all the women. I raced to our fence, refusing to, because we knew what moved meant. So I stand there, night after night, my finger hooked between the wires. Friends plead with me as I stop eating. Wasting away. Live, Leo. Survive. It's what Rosa would have wanted. Months later, many months later, I I saw a face in the same window I first caught your eye. And I met Sophie. And we whispered between the wires. Not long after, we were liberated. We married. Not for love. Uh, For children, children that would carry out traditions, children who would tell their children what the Germans did to us. But always, in the back of my mind, what if you survived? So I go to the park, and there you are, on the bench, and I stand there. A married man with a pregnant wife, knowing I had ruined both our lives. What do you want from me, Leo? I want to hold you, Princess. 
even just once. I saw you, Leo, from bench. I was sitting, and there you was, peeking through the bushes. I must have stood there for two hours. I was waiting like I promised. It was you who never came over. You, you have a good marriage? My Max was... was... Good husband. I'm sorry. It was more than ten years. And your marriage? Uh, I've been divorced for thirteen years. But ever since I stood at our fence with no pinky to hold on to, I've felt this ache in my heart. <sighs> that night... We were taken from camp, herded like animals. Those of us that survived lay in another camp, listening to screams, terrible screaming, waiting to be pulled from bed. What those soldiers did to me. That's why I could never have children. I was able to turn off memories. But my husband, Max, was in Auschwitz. It was his job to pull gold teeth from the bodies after they was gassed. Faces of dead came back to him in nightmares. The times... He managed to sleep. I, I would leave my husband and sneak away to hiding spot. There I kept photo. Your portrait before war that you gave me. After Max took his own life, I was full of guilt. I, I went to tear up photo, but as I... As I took it in my hand, I, I saw that there was this, this message on back. Four words. Sein freilich in ihm. Be happy. Find him. He knew. For forty-seven years, Max knew. His whole life he gave his heart to me. When he, he knew mine was... Mine was somewhere else. Rosa. I... I need to tell you something. I'm... I'm having a procedure. It's no cure... Maybe it buys me a couple of months. When I found out, I, I just wanted to hold you. But, I, but I'm never going to feel you in my arms. Close your eyes, Leo. Close your eyes. You see my little finger? 
hold it like you're used to. How does that feel? Like something I never should have let go of. Dance with me. Tumbala, tumbala, tumbala laika. Tumbala, tumbala, tumbala laika. I'm dancing with you, princess. Tumbala laika, strumbala laika. Tumbala laika, may we be happy. You are in my arms now, Leo. And you're in mine, princess. Tumbala, tumbala, tumbala laika. Tumbala, tumbala, tumbala laika. Tumbala laika. Strumbala laika. Tumbala laika. Maybe we be happy. Hey, everybody, it's Gary, the producer for Lights Up Ensemble Theater of Chattanooga's new podcast for playwrights, performers, and patrons of theater. I wanted to see if you've heard about Anchor. Anchor, the platform that's hosting our podcast. If you haven't heard about Anchor yet, well, I am happy to be the first to tell you about it. It is free. F-R-E-E. That's right, free. Um, There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your computer uh, or your phone. And Anchor will distribute the podcast that you create so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts from. And you know what else? It doesn't cost you anything, but you can make money from your podcast and you don't even have to have a minimum listenership. That's right. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So do like we did. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R, or anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R.fm to get started and create your podcast. Well, hello and welcome back to Lights Up Season 2. This is one of our last episodes, our last official play of the season. We have some wrap-ups and some monologues in store for you. And I am reunited with my wonderful co-host, Christy. Hi, Christy. You and your little babies, how how are they doing? Oh, my goodness. They're doing wonderful. (laughs) And it is so good to see your beautiful face. I have so missed doing this podcast with you. We've missed you, too. We've loved having Shannon and Chelsea, but I have missed you and I'm sure our listeners have as well. Um, So yay, thanks for coming back for this episode. Absolutely. So we just had the pleasure of listening to Dennis Parks 
and Deb Meeks bring Rosa and Leo to life. And we are so fortunate to be meeting and, and interviewing the playwright, Adam Zudrich. And if it's okay, Adam, can, can you give me the breakdown? Did I say your name accurately? That's impressive. I have family members that can't pronounce it that well. So that, that that's impressive. <laughs> Adam is joining us from Australia, which is just so awesome. This is the furthest uh, ETC's net has been cast. And so we are so excited um, to, to be discussing this with you today, Adam. Thanks for having me. Thanks for, and thanks for making it work. We, you know, we're working with these really weird time zones and all that kind of stuff. So thank you for having me on and looking forward to having a bit of a chat. Yeah, you're in the future for us. I know, and it's looking good. There's no COVID. Yeah, no, no, it's brilliant. Sunshine. Um, I've got the lotto numbers as well, if you're interested. Uh, yes, let's do we that. Would, often. We would love those. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's funny you say there's no COVID because I know Australia um, and definitely New Zealand have been handling this pandemic much better than uh, some of our counterparts. Yeah, it's it's been amazing up until about the last, I think, uh, four weeks. So we've just we've just had paradise. This Delta's come along and we haven't been really prepared. So as all of us haven't been vaccinated, so it's just come through and we're, I think it's uh, 12 million out of 23 million people, like 40% of Australia's in lockdown at the moment. So we're so lucky, so fortunate. That's, you know, one of the great things about being in the middle of nowhere and living on an island. Uh, there's a few downsides. You pay a bit extra for stuff, but you know when there's a mass worldwide pandemic, it tends to work out for you. Well, that's good. I'm glad to hear that. I remember watching um, some of the like bigger, more commercial productions open up. You had like Frozen opened up down in Australia, and I think Hamilton was coming back. When that was such huge news here in the states that that was happening, all watching in the theater community with such envy. Um, so I'm sorry to hear that you're in some lockdowns now, but I'm glad that y'all were able to kind of experience a little more freedom and art. And it, it was really hard to see the rest of the world as well. You know, you guys all suffering and going through, you know, such horrible things, not only in the art world, but just in reality, just being confined to your spaces and, you know, the effects that that has on mental health and, you know, it, it's endless. Um, so it's, as, as great as it was, we felt, you know, kind of helpless as well that, you know, almost guilt that we were living this lifestyle while the world was suffering. So, you know, we're going through our bit of hurt at the moment, but hopefully things will, will improve. Yeah. And that's tying it back it, uh, to Rosa and Leo. Um, Christy and I discussed this a little bit about the play. A lot of the works that we have seen in the past year and a half, um, we've been able to view through kind of this COVID lens. And some of the plays came about because of COVID were written. Um, it does not seem that this was written during COVID, but something that I said to Chrissy was, I think that people who maybe were just sympathetic towards the Holocaust, perhaps after this pandemic, may be more empathetic towards not being able to touch someone, not being able to see someone, not being able to hear someone's voice. And it kind of made this story oddly relatable and tangible you know this this was an idea that i had when i was like five or six years old this this normally when i get asked where do your plays come from i hate that question i, I don't know where they come from so to always find that where's your inspiration come from but this is one where i know where it actually came from because my my grandparents were holocaust survivors and so i heard their amazing stories like growing up and um you know i remember this one time where my grandmother told me the story about her brother 
who actually met his wife in, in a concentration camp. You know, he was on one section, uh, the women are in the other section, and she used to come over and do the laundry. And, you know, they fell in love secretly and then they promised to meet after the war. And uh, for some reason as a kid, I, I, I thought what would have happened if they didn't meet after the war? I don't know why, but that was always in my head. And I try to write that story like many, many times sort of growing up and it just didn't work. And then eventually I, I got it right, um, well, sort of got it right. I, I, I wrote a, um, a full length version of it. And it was this play, which was, I've never been so universally like hated in my work ever. Like it was just like rejected. I think I stopped counting it about 350 times. And I, I liked it. I don't normally love my work. And so it's just getting rejected, rejected, rejected. And one night I just thought, I'm going to turn this into a short play. I literally spent, you know, maybe half an hour and then I sent it out and then it got selected for this festival in LA. And then it won this festival and it got to another festival. And I was like, oh my goodness. Place was just in the 10 minute world. Um, you know, a lot of people, a lot of younger people still don't know, you know, what, what happened during the Holocaust. So. Well, and Adam, if I may ask the choice to make one of the characters um, from New York, um, what what was that rooted in or where did where did that come from was that part of the real life story you know from no it was not no 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 uh, my my deep love of New York uh, my, my my longing that hopefully it'll get produced there multiple times and someone will fly me over there that would be brilliant and uh, <laughs> but other than that you know I wanted to because uh, Rosa the, the, the kind of the, the main female character she's negative and you know uh she's got a great heart to it but the world's kind of shaped her into being this kind of negative she's very funny kind of person who's someone who worries about things and I, I wanted the opposite of that and um you know I've, I've been to New York quite a few times and I just love New York and just I got family there and the life and the passion and and the you know everything is a just the electricity that runs through people there it had they had to come from New York and I've even had people um say to me a few times can we can we change it? Can we make it from, you know, somebody from Atlanta or, or somebody from, you know, the West? And I'm like, you can, but it's just, it's, it's not, I don't know. It's not the same. There's something about people from New York. I love that. That makes my little New Yorker heart so happy. I might cry. <laughs> um, because that's how I feel exactly too. And some people, you know, New York is a polarizing place, but I love to hear that coming from from an Australian. I felt like Leo helped draw Rosa out in such a beautiful way because she did have this very hurt, almost bitter sense to her where you can tell there was just such deep waters of emotion that she um, that she didn't want him to know were there, but she, you know he knew and he was gonna tap into it and he was just persistent and I absolutely loved that. Um, so I think he wrote just two very beautiful characters. I really enjoyed um, because there there was such history and such depth and I felt like that really came across in your writing. Um, Thank you for that. And you know, so much of that, like, you know, so much of theatre is just, it's, it's such a team sport, isn't it? Um, and you know, I'm just a little piece and you know, when you get some really great acting and great directing and that, that all comes together, I think that's when, you know, you can really see see a good show. And to go back, because the the point of this particular podcast is to look at that piece of the playwright in theater, because oftentimes we do tend to focus on the directors and the actors. Um, I want to step back to a comment that you made about originally this play was a full length, and then you brought it into a 10 minute, you know, one act. And as Chrissy said, all of that history and the depth of character and the richness is there. So it makes sense that you had this this you know full length there. 
But I think of all the playwrights that we've interviewed, I have yet to hear someone writing a full length and then dropping it back down to the 10 minute. We often talk to playwrights who have expanded their 10 minute plays or stick to solely writing one act 10 minute plays. Um, can you talk about that process, A, of paring it down and B, um, do you have a format uh, that you prefer to write in? Great. So thanks for that. Uh, first of all, I've never done it before. Uh, I've, I've only, that was my first full length play and I've just finished my second one and that's in God knows how many years of writing, um, you know, 30 years of writing. And um, it was really tricky, especially with this one, because there's, you know, so much history. There's so many, you know, so many of the stories of even the short version. They're, they're my grandmother's stories. You know, that that's, you know, what she told me. You know, she was um, 98 years old and just, just recently passed away. Um, and, and the last kind of survivor of our family, the Holocaust. So I'm like, you know, what am I keeping? What am I dropping? What's important to the story? Um, and you know, there's, there was so many great jokes in the, in the long one. Um, and I'm like, oh, I love that joke so much, but is, is it moving the story forward? So, um, in, in the full length version, they end up meeting. Um, so they actually, you know, one of them flies over and they meet each other and there's a whole separate story to that. So I just thought, I can't tell that story in 10 minutes. There's just too much. I can't, first of all, what, what can I fit into in 10 minutes? Because that's, that's, that's the key thing. You know, you try and fit in too much and it, you're going to lose people. Um, where do you start as well? I think as always, when I'm writing any play, I just think the start, that first page is just, it's incredibly important, you know, from, from every point of view, from that person who's, you know, at a festival, who's selecting for a festival and has got a massive stack of, you know, scripts on their desk and has maybe got, you know, now they can get 100, 200, 1,000, 3,000 scripts. Um, if they do not love that first half of that first page, are, are they going to read that whole script? I'd love to think that they would, but you do the maths on reading, you know, 2,000 scripts. Um, it, it doesn't quite work out. So what, what what is your first line? What's that first third of the page? What's that first page that you're writing? Um, can you hook them in straight away? And, you know, a play where the two main characters are in their 70s or older, um, I didn't think it would get, get made. I've, I've got this other play called um, Slow Dating, which is probably my most successful play. It's about this elderly lady who goes um, speed dating and it kind of sends her off on this journey where she meets this stranger. And, and, there's, and it's, it's funny, but there's a lot of heartache along the way. And that's been pulled from festivals because they can't find an actress who's in their 70s or 60s. Um, so I just thought, what's the chances of having two elderly people, a play about the Holocaust, who's gonna do that? Uh, so luckily I didn't put too much thought into it when I was actually in front of the computer all sort of pulling it together. I showed it to a few people. Um, one said tweak this, the other one said change that. I, I made a couple of little adjustments and I sent it off. And to be honest, if I would have sent it off and it would have got rejected, 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 I would have gone back and, and rewrote it. Um, but cause it's got accepted and did so well, I just thought that's, you know, I've made a few tiny tweaks, but I kind of kept it how it is. So. Mm -hmm. You know, what could I fit into two minutes, 10 minutes? How could I tell a story? How could I have that humor and that heart? Um, how can I have a bit of a message? And um, how can I engage people the whole way through? Adam, how did you get started playwriting? What, what drew you to being a playwright in the first place? That, that, that's a good question because um, I, I wanted to be a poet growing up. Um, I just thought the idea of living with sheep 
you know, in complete poverty was a pretty achievable life goal. I thought I, I can achieve that in my life. <laughs> and so I wrote this poetry, which I showed nobody except for my mum. And my mum loved my poetry. It was like this really old style rhyming couplets kind of um, poetry. And then I went to university and I did a writing course. And um, basically you handed in your major work and you could do any sort of writing um, about two weeks before the end of, you know, you finish and that, that, that's what you got your, your grade on. And my teacher called me aside at the end of the class and I'm like, this is, this is it, this is my moment. You know, he, I've been discovered, he's gonna break into tears, you know, where's the tissues, where's the hugs coming? And he goes, and I can't believe he said this, but he goes, um, your writing is so poor that I can't mark it. And it was me and another girl, thankfully, because I, you know, I, I you know, I'm an Australian man, I'm quite sensitive, but there were, there were tears welling in my eyes. And she goes like, what do you want us to do? And he just goes, write something else. Don't what you don't write what you've written. Write something else. And I'm like, okay, um, like what else? And he goes, you know, you can write anything. You can write a story. You can write a play. You can write a movie. But just write something else. I just wrote this kind of film script that, you know, um, about one character that was meeting all these other different characters. You know, horrendous idea, but um, but just really fun to write. And I started writing it, and you know, writing dialogue and action. And I just thought, oh, this is amazing. Um, and I loved it. And I handed it in you know a week later and i don't know if it was sympathy i don't know if it was any good but he actually gave me a decent mark and he passed me that was the end of my poetry career which which is quite sad actually because i went on to be like a bit of a musician as well um and so i did sort of sneak in some poetry there but i started writing um film scripts and sitcoms and things like that um to zero success i, I think i can pretty much say that i was the most unsuccessful writer over about a 20-year period that potentially has ever lived um i i wrote Every night I would write on my birthday, I would write on New Year's Eve um, and I would submit and I would almost, you know, have things made and I'd come really close and even things like children's stories, uh, but just nothing, nothing for like 19, 20 years. And then somebody said to me, why don't you write theatre? There's this competition called Short and Sweet um, that we had in Australia and it's now kind of gone all over the world. It's 10 minute plays. And I'm like, I've never even been to the theater. You know, I was forced to as a child, what is that? And he goes, just write something in one scene. And I thought, I've, I've got that in one of my films. I'll just take a scene and enter it. And so I did that and it, and it got picked and it was in this festival and I'd never been to the theater. And so I, I, I got dressed up in a tuxedo um, to an Australian community theater where everyone was in board shorts and it was like, you know, 45 degrees and I'm dripping with sweat going, why am I wearing this and not thongs? Um, but just like, you know, <laughs> seeing my play there, I mean, I was, I was nervous as hell. I was cringing at, at things, but people were laughing at, at my stuff. Um, and so that was amazing. So I, I was like produced on my first attempt, but then I thought, ah, oh, that was just, just, just luck. Uh, and so I kept writing uh, film, but the next year I wrote this play um, about, because I'm a bit of a feminist, I studied that at university, and so I, I only, I've only really started writing male characters, to be honest. Um, it was about the world of spiders, um, and in the world of spiders, it's the, the females that are kind of the boss, they order the men around and they eat them after sex. And so it was about these deeply sensitive male spiders, they just wanted to be loved, they just wanted romance, they just wanted to talk. <laughs> Uh, and that was my first, I actually wrote that, you know, so that was, a, I was sitting down writing, writing this play and, um, that got produced in, in the same festival. Um, it, it won like something, which was like really weird. Um, it had this moment in there where, you know, one of the spiders walks away from the other spider and that's all I wrote in the script walks away, but the audience went like, oh, and they actually felt sorry for it. And I thought, okay, that's, I should do that in my next play. 
because there was a bit of heart going on there that I didn't intentionally need to do. It was just the great acting and great directing. But that play went to like Manila, that went to uh, America, that went to England. Um, and I was like, oh my God, like this, this short little play was in all these different places. So I, then I started to think maybe I should start to do this playwriting thing. Maybe there's, maybe that's my more, my sort of thing. So I started to write plays and I stopped writing um, film. Um, and then I just kind of, I, I used to write purely comedy. That, that was my thing. And I just found this place between comedy and drama. Um, mainly from that moment, to be honest. Um, I put another moment in my next play um, and I really thought about, you know, the character and the heart and, and what the audience feels and, and the journey rather than just writing jokes. And that, that did even, even better. That, that got produced quite a lot in, in again across America and also um, in, in the UK and places like Dubai. Um, so yeah, then, then I started, right, but just in this short 10 minute world, it's, um, that's where I found my kind of like sweet spot, just writing in 10 minute plays. That is fascinating. I think that's one of the most unique entries into playwriting that we've heard <laughs> as well on the podcast. You're really checking all the boxes today. <laughs> Maybe I think too early. I've got nothing left. That's all my stories. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all, all the firsts for our podcast. We interviewed uh, Marge O'Neill Butler for last week's episode. And, um, and so we interviewed her. And, and a lot of what we talked about was using uh, characters over the age of 60, specifically female characters over the age of 60. And that's a really big um, integral part to her writing. Yeah, definitely. And, and I'm so thankful that the world is uh, starting to change. Um, you know, I, I love the fact that it's it's really hard. It might sound weird to be like a, a male white writer at the moment trying to enter competitions. Like there is nothing for us. And, and I love that. I think it should should be... And I feel sorry for people who are starting off, um, who are male white writers, because you know that's you're just kind of paying for what what's happened before you. But um, you know, there's this this great place that I, I don't live in Sydney anymore. I kind of escaped. That's another story I can tell you. Um, but I, I live on the beach. Um, and but when I, I lived in Sydney, there was a place uh, called Script in Hand, where basically it's the most terrifying experience for an introvert like myself. Um, where you, you write something new, um, it goes to um, these actors, they stand up on stage, they perform it. That's, that's kind of tolerable because you can sit in the dark and hide and potentially run away. But then um, what they do, they bring you on stage and then you get like quizzed by the audience. Um, and so I, 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 I just, you know, every play that I was seeing was about these male white characters and, and, and I wasn't writing that. I was always writing female plays. Um, and so I wrote this play called uh, One Night Stand, which is about these three different women. It's a 20-year-old, a 30-year-old, and a 40-year-old. Um, and I just didn't see three women on, on, on a stage. This is probably like six, seven, eight years ago. It's very weird for me to see that. And I'm like, why is that weird for me to see that? That, that, that should be... And I was standing on stage and they were asking me questions about it. First of all, they were surprised at like, what, a man wrote that? So I, I thought that was, that was a brilliant compliment. And, um, and they were asking me these questions and I said, look at this stage, it's embarrassing. Like we were all white men, you know, aged between 30 and, you know, maybe 60. And there was not one woman on that stage. We're all white. Um, why are we telling these stories? Yes, I can tell them and I love telling the stories, but it's not up to us. You know, we need different voices. Um, so, so I'm so happy that the world is slowly, slowly changing. Um, still a long way to go everywhere, not just in the world of theater, but everywhere uh, but we need we need different voices and so I, I 
the one that I had about slow dating, I was literally watching um, plays and I just thought, I haven't seen an old lady on stage. Oh, sorry, no, no, an elderly lady. That's a really ageist thing to say. A mature <laughs> lady on stage. Um, um, why, why haven't I seen that? Um, and so I was in a festival where I was watching just literally play after play. And I, I wrote that in a festival. And so I just love that when I go and see theater and I see something that I haven't seen before, uh, not just for the sake of seeing it, because I think you can do that wrong as well. Like here's a character I've never seen before. Let's just chuck them on stage. But um, that play, Slow Dating, has that's been produced, you know, 30, 40 times. And I've had the most amazing friendships, the most amazing pen pals with these um mature ladies all around the world who are now like email friends of mine um who who go and perform it and they perform it for their friends as well and some of them who you know i've kind of helped them not helped them but maybe convinced them that they should write and tell their own stories so three of them now have gone to become writers and now you know writing their own stories so that is like 10 times bigger than anything i've ever achieved as a writer um and also just hearing them saying look you know finally i have a part to play you know i'm not a bit part in some play or i'm not some caricature of something. So I, I love the fact that, you know, these people that may not have had an opportunity for a long time have something to, to perform. So Adam, do you feel like there's a, there are any playwrights in particular who have influenced your work and maybe how you approach it? Or what, where do you feel that you got this um, passion to, you know, help, I guess, essentially like change the representation of what's happening on stage? Yeah, so, so two different things there. So I, I definitely read a, a lot of, of writers and I watch a lot and I won't single any out because there's so so many great ones. Um, I think my, my storytelling came from um, my dad. Um, so when I used to go to bed at night, um, I used to tell my dad um, just, you know, one word or two words and he would make up a story on the spot. Um, and just it would just be an original story and um, that was amazing. That, so that kind of bred story into me. And I've actually got a couple of kids now and I do exactly the same thing where they tell me um, something and I uh, actually my latest play has come from that my daughter said the stinkiest thing and so I came up with this play called the stinkiest thing and I, I told this story um, and at the end of this story she had tears in her eyes and that's not something you want to do as a parent you know especially with twins coming along the way um, <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but double screams but you know, there was something normally with these stories I tell them once and then they're gone because I, I kind of like that uh, they just get to hear them but there was something special about that story so I, I T turn that into a story and that's that's turned out to be pretty pretty successful as well and relevant to the world that's happening it's about loss um it's about you know um being distant and the environment and that kind of stuff oh, i don't know my, my grandfather was sort of like maybe a well-known communist and cared deeply ab about people um and so maybe that's i've just always in my life outside of writing i've just always cared very very deeply about people and the underdog and the un unrepresented um giving people a voice. Um, I just, I'm, I'm very passionate about that. Um, I've worked in the, I work in the community sector for a lot, you know, with unemployed people, with, you know, victims of all sorts have gone through difficult lives and helping them to get back on their feet. I don't know, there, there's so many people who suffer. There's so many people who do so many great things who never get to be heard. I know we put like a lot of people on a pedestal and we go, oh, they're, they're amazing. But just even being a parent, you know, even just leaving the house with a couple of kids, that's like an amazing achievement, right? So uh, let alone those parents who have kids with disabilities who have gone through things as well. So I don't know, I just I just feel for all those people and I, I love to tell their stories um, when I can. And, and I always, my, my thing has been humor. So I've been lucky that I've always just, 
I don't know where that came from, probably from my Jewish roots, uh, being able to make people laugh. And I, I think when you can make people laugh, you can you, you can get a message across as well that's that's not preaching, I think. So I can kind of sneak in that message or that story. So that's how I try to tell all my stories. I mean, that's, I don't want to speak for Christy, but we're pretty aligned. I think what you just described was um, shining a light on humanity through theater. And that's one of, I think, the greatest gifts that we can give to each other and the world as artists. So I love your view on that. And perhaps that's why all of us and ETC were touched by this play, because it kind of speaks to what we believe that theater and artists should be. And I do want to say to you, we made a joke about you being in the future, but it strikes me that you are perhaps one of the most present um, writers that we have as well. Someone who is actually writing because they got an idea while they are in a play or you're doing a lot of rumination and, and thinking, but then you go and you write. Um, talk to us a little more about your process. It sounds like you do have another daily job. We're always curious to hear about how playwrights um, manage this solitary, especially the beginning, art form within the rest of their life with their family and their other careers. Yeah, it's it's, it's such an interesting, challenging thing to do, isn't it? Especially when um, the little ones come along, you know, because you can be, you know, living in your own little bubble as, as I used to be, you know, um, riding away, you know, with a very considerate, you know, girlfriend and then wife you know who kind of married into this you know this person who hears voices in their head might be slightly manic you know um who who gets an idea at two o'clock in the morning and has to get up and start writing that's great that's that's brilliant when you're like you know a single person or, or in a relationship and all of a sudden you've got a couple of kids coming along and they just exhaust you and and they drain you and because you know I, I give so much to my children i love my kids so much and they're they're more important than anything i'll ever write um so um especially I had a kid who just didn't sleep I had a dream child who was you know basically from the beginning was a beautiful sleeper so my wife used to go to mother's group and put on black mascara under her eyes to because she felt guilt that she was sleeping you know 12 hours and everyone else was like up all night um, and people were like you're an amazing parent we're like no we just got lucky we got genetics and luck that's nothing to do with, we'll prove it with our next child and my god we proved it with our next child um, <laughs> because that boy did not sleep <laughs> you know like seven eight times a night he would wake up and so like how do you write when you are just I would sit down and I would struggle to even stay awake um, that's how I was just completely wrecked because you know we were working as well in the community sector where I'm giving so much mm -hmm. to people who need need my help so all that combined together but I still need to write because I, I need to escape everything that's going on so um, I found little windows so there would be bath time so I chuck them in the bath I would put on um, three cartoons um, so they get three of those so that's 18 minutes and I'd have a laptop I'd sit we didn't even, I didn't even have a table because I got my my room got ousted and we lived in 28 square meters so I, I wrote on a kid's chair, like, you know, one of those little kid's chairs with three pillows um, resting on my lap and then a laptop on that um, whilst they had a bath. So that was my writing time, 18 minutes a day um, is what I did. So the old days of, you know, um, sitting there and working on every word and crafting and make sure it's perfect. I, I did that in bed. Like I would just lie there and go, OK, I've got my 18 minutes. How am I going to spend my 18 minutes? Because that 18 minutes is also you know, working with directors, submitting things. Sometimes I didn't even get to write in those 18 minutes. So it was it was really tricky. Um, just the exhaustion, the lack of time, um, and trying to be creative in that period. 
especially when my plays were sort of doing well and everyone's like, what's next? What's next? What's coming next? Um, and I'm like, oh God, I wish like three hours continuous sleep was coming next. That, that would be nice. <laughs> so um, it's really hard. There's, there's, there's no magic answer of what do, what do you do in that period? You just find your little windows and just pray to God that that's going to somehow end and then they can get some sleep. Um, so in, in that period there, that, that's what I did. I just literally used my little windows and just, just wrote when I could. And still managed to have things produced. You know, I never missed, you know, anything. I still did really, really well. Luckily, the great thing with plays is you can keep submitting your old ones. So that, that's that's great as well. Um, so it just seems seamless from the outside world while I was just, you know, using a lot of band-aids to hold everything together. And then, then you know, as he decided that sleeping was a positive thing, um, I, I got to start to write again. Um, and and I'm, I'm, you know, probably unlike most writers um when when i went to this wonderful teacher who said um, i was a terrible writer um i actually came back the next year and and focused on you know writing proper uh, not proper writing but like theater writing and, and script writing and he said to me um you have to know what's on page five before you can write page one and you need to know what's on page 12 before you can write page seven you have to like it's not you should like you have to do that and that that killed me for like a long time i just couldn't I couldn't write like I just found that really stunts like just the words wouldn't come out um, and then you know probably five six seven years later I saw this great Australian playwright called Nick Enright and he said I've got no idea what I write when I write it I just sit down and I write and that was the most liberating thing for me and I've heard many writers you know, even the Coen brothers say that they just sit down and write so when I write I have zero idea and if I know the ending to a play I find it incredibly difficult to write um, so I know that's, you know, for a lot of people who may be starting out who are writing, that's not great advice because you can just write out, write a lot of kind of rambling, maybe rubbish or go in no directions. But for me, I love to write myself into maybe like a corner and then just problem solve my way out. That, that, that's my technique and that, that's, that's what I do. I, as I write that first draft, which is, you know, purely from my heart, I just kind of let everything out and then I'll go back with my head. I think it's so helpful to hear other people's takes and process and what works for you and what can you steal lovingly from someone to work for you as well. And I think, I mean, I think there's a lot of fascinating bits to your process. I was always told, write what you know. Um, and the world I know, like I, I'm so privileged. I grew up in like, you know, a great area, great parents, no problems in my life. That's so boring, right? So, you know, also think about writing worlds that you don't know. That's That can be really fascinating as well. So. If you could change something about the theater um, culture or theater world sort of as we know it, because um, you've mentioned a couple things that I'm like, ooh, I wonder if that would be it or this would be it. But if you could, if you had a magic wand and you could just, boom, let's fix this one aspect. Is there something in particular that's on your heart that you would be like, I wish this were different in this culture? Oh, I, I wish it, you know, because it's also profit driven and it, it has to be, you know, I mean, that, that's that's the that's the big thing that's, you know, the, the real, I think, for me, issue of theatre is that, you know, you, you the people that are making theatre have to be safe. And I get it because, you know, you've got business and livelihoods. And so it's it's such a gamble to take a risk on something that's you know that's unique or different and and um because if it doesn't work if somebody takes a risk on it and it doesn't work then will they, that theater ever do it again and so you know the thing that i would love to change i would love to make all theaters like uh non it's like nirvana right this is never going to happen but like um 
like non-profit organizations that just supported minority voices wouldn't that be great so yeah. broadway was just full of like you know unique stories but that that's that that will happen because um slowly slowly it'll take you know little hits of things to see that people want to hear different stories but there will still be you know less of people like me and more of um you know unique writers and uni unique voices and unique stories so we need really resilient determined people who are not going to judge everything on one experience and that's young people i, I, have, a, I have a lot of faith in in young people i think young people will change the world because they have to because we we've sort of screwed it up a little bit or a lot um and so you know they have to change the world because they're gonna have to live in it so hopefully they will uh we always do like to give our playwrights a moment before we wrap up uh, to promote yourself. Beautiful. I, look, I, I'm very old school. I think I still have a Hotmail account. So the fact that I have a, a website is fairly impressive. Uh, so that's that's my um, my full name, Adam Zudrich, uh, S-Z-U-D-R-I-C-H. That's got all my work on that. And if you want to get in contact with me, that's probably the best way. There's a little contact section than that. Other than that, like I've got Facebook um, and I've got one play on New Play Exchange. That's that's it. I, I just like to go in and read other people's plays, to be honest. Um, but I'm, I'm pretty ordinary at the old self-marketing, promoting kind of things. But I am contactable. So if anybody would like to get in contact, I'm always happy to chat or speak. Or if you've got a question, I'm always happy, to, happy about that as well. Uh, we do have three final questions that we ask all of our playwrights it's been the same three to end our interviews all season long so we'd love to ask you these before we say a tearful goodbye and we hope we get to chat with you again <laughs> yeah all right adam first question do you have a um i'm hesitant to use the word favorite but do you have a favorite word or a word that just delights you to to either say or to use when you are writing your shows Oh, that's a tough one. I was going to, I was thinking word just in general, which children just came into mind because I, I love children. And I love my, um, my kids. Well, the next question is about a place or location. Do you have a favorite, um, or place that brings you great nostalgia or holds memory or importance, um, place or location? As in with writing or just in life? Just general. How, however you choose to interpret, we've heard people answer it both ways. So Beautiful. Look, I, I've done like a, a lot of traveling in my life. I, I did this weird thing where um, I decided I was going to retire in my 20s. Um, because why retire in your 70s? Because, you know, you can't enjoy it. So from 20 to 30, I wrote, I traveled. Um, so just, uh, I, I just love um, Southeast Asia. Oh, I love that. All right. I'm Final question. Um, is there an item maybe that's in your home or it could be like from your childhood or something that someone gave you that's particularly nostalgic or has a, a soft spot for you? So I have this little doll that um, there was this man, um, man and woman living under a bridge selling like these kind of very, you know, they, they weren't, they made these dolls or maybe they bought them. but. Um, and so they were selling for two dollars each. So you know, I gave them a little bit more, and I bought that doll. And I always have that sort of hanging somewhere near me, just to remind me, as I'm living my privileged life, and I think I'm having a hard day. That there's, they were like in their their 80s potentially, living under a bridge, trying to sell these dolls to make a living. So um, that that grounds me and gives me a sense of reality when I, I look at those dolls, and I just think, um, you are one lucky bastard to be, you know, sitting in your house writing, um, doing that, whereas so much of the world doesn't have it so that just i don't know it doesn't matter what challenges i face not only within 
maybe a script or in life I can just think about those people and those I met many people like that but in particular and that that kind of brings me back to a good place trying to think um I was unlucky that I lost my mum kind of kind of early um she was only like 50 um and so there's a bit of a blanket that she had um so I just make sure that that I hold on to that doesn't matter how old you get you you always need your mum I think in times of your life and when you don't have it um have them I think it's that's a tough thing so anything that can kind of you know hold on to physically as well as emotionally that's a beautiful answer I love I love that especially for our mama and we're going to hold on to this conversation for for some time we're very grateful to have had you thank you again Adam thank you so much again for taking the time to speak to me it's been it's been great really really great um thank you for taking me to places I didn't know I was going to go normally I'm like you know it's all jokes with me but you've you've done like a, I don't know Oprah Winfrey on me or something you've, you've... <laughs> Well, we didn't lying down. This is a bit of therapy. <laughs> we didn't want you to know the ending because we know you don't like that. So, <laughs> I that's true. You got me at the end there. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Lights Up is a podcast produced by the Ensemble Theatre of Chattanooga, a 501c3 nonprofit independent theatre company located in southeast Tennessee. Lights Up is hosted by Christy Gallo and Dana Colagiovanni. Sound by Eric Red Wyatt. Graphics by Jamie Goodnight. And Casey Keelan as the associate producer. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, copied, or presented without the expressed written consent of the Ensemble Theatre of Chattanooga. The plays presented on this podcast are protected by all national and international copyright laws. If you are interested in producing any of the plays featured on Lights Up, contact us and we will get you in touch with the playwright. If you would like your play considered for a future episode or would like to be an actor or reader, please shoot us a message at lightsup at ensembletheaterofchattanooga.com. As a nonprofit, ETC relies on donations and the goodwill of patrons and supporters like you. If you would like to make a one-time donation to ETC, please visit our website for details. Or you can become a monthly subscriber on Patreon and get access to exclusive content. You can also support us by giving us a like and rating this podcast. Lights Up is hosted by Anchor, a Spotify company. The easiest way to make a podcast.